Good morning, folks. It's lovely to be with you. Thank you so much for the invitation to come back. I'm always encouraged to go visit a place, but I'm even more encouraged when I'm asked to come back. Uh, so thank you for the opportunity. And thank you, Rachel, for your prayer. Well done. Um, I want to share something with you this morning, something that touched my heart in my chosen time this week. Um, I don't know if I've said to you before, but over the years, we've moved, we moved in Finley from talking about our quiet times to talking about our chosen times because we choose to have them or not to have them as the case may be. Well, the Lord touched my heart uh, this week with a little phrase that only appears just once in the scriptures. It's found in Hebrews chapter 4 and verse 12, and this is a very interesting little passage. I'm not going to try to talk about the context, I just want to talk about the phrase, but it's referring to Abraham. He, Abraham, is then also the father of the circumcised, who not only are circumcised, but who also follow in the footsteps of the faith that our father Abraham had before he was circumcised. So it's the, it's the little expression, follow in the footsteps of the faith. And I thought about that, and I thought, what does that expression mean for us today, to follow in the footsteps of the faith? Well, we know that the word follow means movement, and footsteps would point us to walking, but surely it means more than walking the dog or going to the shop to get something. There has to be more to it than that. Well, Paul gives us a little hint about that in 2 Corinthians chapter 5, and he says we live by faith and not by sight. So we're following in the footsteps of the faith. We live by faith and not by sight. So faith is clearly important. It means that the choices we make every day are influenced by the faith that we possess. And we know that faith is exceedingly important because we read in Hebrews that without faith it is impossible to please God. So if you and I want to please God, then we have to have faith and we have to follow in the footsteps of faith. So faith is really important. And you know that trust is the outworking of faith. Now sometimes trust involves standing in a situation where we're going to be in trouble if God doesn't turn up. It's trusting. And it may very well be that today somebody here or somebody watching is in a place where they feel they're going to be in big trouble if God doesn't turn up. But you know, God always turns up because trusting God while it sounds as though it's a risky thing, isn't actually a risk at all. It's not a risk to trust God. So if you like, you and I are to walk in the footsteps of faith. And as I was turning this over in my mind, wondering what actually is involved in following in the footsteps of faith today, wondering what was involved, I have to tell you that I felt a nudge, uh, that's the only way I could describe it, to look 
at 2nd John, that's John's second epistle. But before we come to that, let me tell you that a number of years ago, I conducted a wedding in Crossford Parish Church. So a lovely young girl called Dorothy, she was a doctor, and she was marrying a guy called Tony. And Dorothy had spent some time on the mission field. So I thought, well, how can I, how can I uh, speak to them in a way that will be really relevant? So I decided I'd do something a little bit unusual, something that I'd never done before. Having uh, conducted the wedding and pronounced them husband and wife, we got to the bit where I, I got to share some, hopefully, words of wisdom that come straight from the scripture. And what I did was I, I presented them with a gift in the middle of the address. I said, this is a gift from my wife and myself to you, and I'd like you to open it. So they thought, well, this is a bit unusual to have a wedding, a gift in the middle of a, of a wedding service, but they opened the gift and they were really quite puzzled because in it, there was a pair of flip-flops. Now I had no idea where they were going on honeymoon, but when I saw them with the, looking at the flip-flops, they kind of looked at the flip-flops and they looked at me as though, what's going on here? And then I gently said, well, turn them over. Because you see, there were letters on the soles of each of the flip-flops. One said love, and the other said you. So I wasn't sure who was going to wear them, but I wanted them to walk in such a way that the message they were leaving for the other one was love you, love you. So. Wherever they walked along the beach, they were leaving this message, love you, love you. I thought that was a, a nice thing to do, and I think they enjoyed it. They enjoyed it. Well, before we read 2 John, and we're going to do that together, I'd, I'd like to tell you just a little bit about the background. It's a very small epistle, 13 verses, and John is writing to a godly mother some words of encouragement, but wrapped up in this little epistle are also some words of warning. So it's important that we understand the background. Now, it seems to me that John had somehow come in contact with some of the members of the church to which he's writing, the church to which this lady went. And wonderfully, John was absolutely filled with joy when he met these people, because he, he knew that from their demeanor and behavior and from all they said, that the church was growing. It, it, we're not told that it was growing outward, but we know that it was growing spiritually in that its roots were going down deep into truth. So he was really encouraged. So he wrote to praise and encourage the church in its ongoing life and witness. But he also wrote to them to warn the church about a real danger that they faced. He'd already made reference to this danger in the first epistle in, uh, of John. He says in chapter 2, verses 18 to 19, Dear children, this is the last hour. As you have heard, 
that the Antichrist is coming, even now many Antichrists have come. This is how we know it is the last hour. They went out from us, but they did not really belong to us. So we learned that there were people going out and they were claiming to be Christians with the approval of John and, and the others, but actually they didn't represent John and the others because the message that they were preaching was not a message of truth. Perhaps they were uh, itinerant uh, preachers going around and maybe turning up at a little church and saying, you know, I'm, I'm an important person and, uh, and you really need to look after me. And maybe they would stay a little bit longer and, uh, and get a little bit of money. And uh, they, were, they were not representing the apostles. And it was really bad. Now, Paul tells us something very similar in his farewell address to the Ephesian elders. Do you remember in Acts 20, he spoke to the elders and he told them about their responsibilities and he warned them about some danger. He said, keep watch over yourselves and all the flock of which the Holy Spirit has made you overseers. Be shepherds of the church of God, which he bought with his own blood. I know that after I leave, savage wolves will, wolves will come in among you and will not spare the flock. Even from your own number, men will arise and distort the truth in order to draw away disciples after them. So he warned them about savage sheep. The savage sheep, they looked like sheep. They didn't look like wolves with great big teeth, but they were savage wolves. And he warned them, they're going to come in and you're going to think that they're authentic, genuine disciples. But their aim and object is to create discord and division because they want folks to follow them. Now, we know the church is not about the preacher. It's not about the pastor. Church is about the Lord. Isn't that right? And so he was warning them of the danger of these savage wolves who would come in and create havoc. And those savage wolves, their descendants are alive and well today. So with all of that in mind, let's just turn and we'll read Second John and see what it says. John starts off by saying the elder to the chosen lady and her children. Now, before I read on, I want you to take note of words that are repeated because that's important. And there may be some phrases that are repeated. So to the chosen lady and her children, whom I love in the truth, and not only I, but also all who know the truth, because of the truth which lives in us and will be with us forever, grace, mercy, and peace from God the Father and from Jesus Christ, the Father's Son, will be with us in truth and love. It has given me great joy to find some of your children walking in the truth, just as the Father has commanded us. And now, dear lady, I'm not writing to you a new command, but one we have had from the beginning. I ask that we love one another and that this is love that we walk in obedience to his commands. As you have heard from the beginning, his command is that you walk in love. Many deceivers who do not acknowledge Jesus Christ as coming in the flesh have gone out into the world. 
Any such person is the deceiver and the antichrist. Watch out that you do not lose what you have worked for, but that you may be rewarded fully. Anyone who runs ahead and does not continue in the teaching of Christ does not have God. Whoever continues in the teaching has both the Father and the Son. If anyone comes to you and does not bring this teaching, do not take him into your house or welcome him. Anyone who welcomes him shares in his wicked work. I have much to write to you, but I do not want to use paper and ink. Instead, I hope to visit you and talk with you face to face so that our joy may be complete. The children of your chosen sister send their greetings. And we know that God will add his blessing to the reading of his precious word. Well, I don't know, have you, did you pick up on any words that were repeated? Anybody awake out there? Did you pick up on any of the words that were repeated? Truth, truth yeah, the word truth appears three times in the first two verses uh, and, and then once more. So four times truth is mentioned. That means that truth is important. So what is the truth that he is referring to? Well, basically, truth means reality as opposed to mere appearance. The ultimate that is best for all that we see around us, Jesus Christ is the truth and God's word is truth. God has revealed truth in the person of his son and in, it, and in the pages of his word. And he's given us the Holy Spirit to teach us truth, to enable us to grab hold of truth that we might know the truth. Now the truth is not only an objective revelation from the Father, but also a subjective experience in our own lives. We cannot only know the truth, we can love in the truth, and we can live for truth's sake. The truth lives in us and shall be with us forever. That's what John says. So this means that knowing the truth is much more than just giving assent to a body of doctrine, though that's important. It means that the believer's life is controlled by a love for the truth and a desire to magnify the truth. So basically, it's telling us it's not just knowing about the truth, but it's knowing the truth in our hearts. So the truth is having an impact within us. So John opens his letter on this note of truth because there were false teachers abroad who were spreading error, and he calls them uh, antichrists, the deceiver and the antichrist. So the people who are teaching things that were not true were leading folks astray. And John was not one to say that, listen, there's some truth in all religious teaching, and you need to sift it through and look for what's good. He's not saying that at all. He, he says there's a great difference between truth and error. And the difference is a deadly difference. And he was not going to tolerate error. And that's why it is so important that we become a people 
of the book. And I used to say frequently through the years of ministry, don't just accept what I tell you. You go to the word and check it out for yourself. Make sure that I got it right. Because it's the truth that matters. That's really, really important. And we have to know the truth. And the Holy Spirit enables us to know that. Well, in order to help the people that he was writing in the business of recognizing people who were not telling the truth, because I guess when they read this epistle about uh, people coming in, they were concerned. How are we going to know? How are we going to recognize these folks who Paul describes as savage wolves? How are we going to know? Because if we don't know, we might just allow somebody to come in who really we should keep outside. Well, very helpfully, John gives them uh, a series of three tests which are very useful and very helpful and significant. He says, verses four to six, it has given me great joy to find some of your children walking in the truth, just as the Father commanded us. And now, dear lady, I'm not writing you a new commandment, but one we've heard from the beginning. I ask you that we love one another, and this is love that we walk in obedience to his commands. And as you have heard from the beginning, his command is that you walk in love. So there's a little word that's repeated three times there. The first sign is to walk in the truth. Because the, the savage wolf doesn't walk in the truth. He tries to manip manipulate and use. So walking in the truth is the first test and the second test is walking in obedience and the third test is walking in love now notice that it says there just as the father commanded us so these tests are coming from the heart of God and while there are three of them walking in the truth walking in obedience and walking in love the word command is used four times just so that we get the point that this is important this is not just some kind of optional thing that you can take or leave. No, these commands are given by the Father and they apply to us today in the church. So let's just look at the three of them. The first one is walking or walk in the truth. And that simply means that you and I are to allow the truth, which is contained in God's word, to impact and ultimately control every area of our lives. Now, you and I know that it's very much easier to talk about the truth than it is to study the truth. It's easier to study the truth than it is to live the truth. And yet you and I are called to walk in the truth. We are called to walk in the truth. There has to be a consistency between what we say and how we walk. Let me give you an illustration to hopefully give you a clear understanding of that. You, you will all have heard of um, Charles Haddon Spurgeon, the great Baptist preacher. Well, when Spurgeon was a young man, he lived with his granddad and his granddad was pastoring a church in a place called Stam Stambourne in England. A and in the church, and remember that we're talking about a, a context that was very different to today's context. But in that day, there was a man in the church called Rhodes. 
And his pattern of life was that he would go down to the local pub and he would sit in the pub and he would drink beer and he would smoke. And in those days, it's maybe a little bit different today, in those days, Christians tended not to drink beer, at least not very much beer, and they tended not to, to smoke. And the, the pastor of the church, Spurgeon's grandfather, was really upset that this man lived a way that, that wasn't walking in the truth. He wasn't kind of acknowledging God and he wasn't, his life wasn't a very good witness. So one day, Charles Spurgeon was, was so upset by this that he went to his grandfather and I'm gonna tell you exactly what he said. He said to his grandfather, I'll kill old Rhodes. That was the guy, the fellow down the pub's name, Rhodes. I'll kill old Rhodes, he said. That I will. I shall not do anything bad, but I'll kill him. That I will. Now, amazing. That's what Spurgeon said. Well, what did he do? Well, he made his way to the pub, and Rhodes was in the pub, and he confronted him. And again, I quote what he said. He said, what doest thou here, Elijah, sitting with the ungodly, and you a member of a church and breaking your pastor's heart? I'm ashamed of you. I wouldn't break my pastor's heart, I'm sure. And then he left. And this man, Rhodes, was so impacted that not it wasn't very long before he went to the pastor's house, and he confessed his sins and he apologized uh, for his behavior. You see, young Spurgeon had killed him by his behavior because young Spurgeon was walking in the truth and Rhodes wasn't. And you and I are called to walk in the truth. You see, you and I might be the only glimpse of Jesus that our neighbors get. So what do they see? Where we walk and what we walk, what, what we do where we walk is really very important because the way we walk through life broadcasts a message. It's very important that we, that we walk in truth. But then the second test is walk in obedience. Now, let's be very clear on this. If you and I are to walk in the truth, and to walk in obedience, we'll have to know what the truth is, won't we? We can't obey what we don't know if it's just a little bit hit and miss. Well, in Philippians 1, Paul writes, whatever happens, conduct yourself in a manner worthy of the gospel of Christ. Whatever happens, something good happens, and it's easy. Conduct yourself in a manner worthy of Christ. But when something bad happens, Conduct yourself in a manner that's worthy of Christ. That's what we have to do. And we've already noted that John links truth with love. Look again at the first three verses. The, the elder to the, the lady chosen by God and to her children, whom I love in the truth, and not only I, but also all who know the truth, because of the truth which lives in us and will be with us forever, grace, mercy, and peace from God the Father and from Jesus Christ the Father's Son, will be with us in truth and love. So he's linking love with truth here. So truth and love seem to go hand in hand. That's interesting to note that. Now, have you ever come across some of the one another statements in the New Testament? We're, we're told things like, love one another. Anybody know how many times that little phrase appears in the New Testament? Love one another? Have a guess. 
come on, your new beginnings. Have a guess. Well, you're, you're very optimistic, but actually that phrase word for word appears 12 times. 12 times in the New Testament. So I think it's recorded there because we're slow to learn and God wants us to learn. So he's 12 times repetition, you know, that's the way you teach people repetition, 12 times, love one another, love one another. And why do you think he said that? Because the way we are naturally is we don't always love one another. You know? I, don't, I don't like the way she has her hair. I mean, why does she wear it like that? Or do you see him in those trousers? For goodness sake, you know, little things that are totally insignificant can annoy us. And we're supposed to love one another. So he says that 12 times, love one another. Do you remember when Jesus washed the disciples' feet? They all walked into the room and they looked around and said, where's the servant? Who's going to wash our feet? And they all waited for somebody else to do it. But then Jesus did it. And, and, and Paul had an Peter had an attack of conscience. Lord, Lord, let me wash your feet, Lord. No, I'm going to wash your feet. And he did. And then Jesus said, um, now that I, your Lord and teacher, have washed your feet, you should wash one another's feet. Now remember, in, in Jesus' day, they didn't have nice socks and shoes. They just had sandals and the roads were dusty and, and muddy. So washing somebody else's feet was not maybe the most pleasant of tasks. But you know, sometimes it would do us good to bring a basin and a towel to church to wash one another's feet, to serve one another in that way. And let me just say, in case somebody needs to hear this, when you're washing somebody's feet, make sure the water isn't uncomfortably hot. You wash one another's feet. That's what Jesus did. And if we want to be like Jesus, that's what we have to do. And then he says, and Paul says in Romans 15 verse seven, accept one another. Then, just as Christ accepted you, in order to bring praise to God, accept one another. What do you mean? He's a Presbyterian. He believes in infant baptism. He's not like, I, I believe in the real thing, you know. Baptism hasn't anything to do with salvation. It has to do with obedience. And personally, I don't preach about believers baptism because there are other folks who have a different view of it who love Jesus more than I do accept one another then okay so you all cheer for Scotland when the Ireland are playing them in rugby that's okay I don't mind I accept you because I want to bring praise to Jesus and I'm using silly examples but you can you can narrow it down to real life examples accept one another then as Christ has accepted you in order to bring praise to God. What about serving? We're very good at serving ourselves, aren't we? But we're told to serve one another humbly in love, to serve one another. Do we ever think to say, how can I serve you today? What can I do to help you? 
I guess if somebody came to you and said that, you think, oh my word, I need to sit down for a moment. Nobody's ever said that to me. But don't you think that's wrapped up in this truth? Walking in obedience, all these one another statements, serving one another. What about kindness, compassion, forgiveness? Ephesians 4, be kind and compassionate to one another, forgiving each other, just as in Christ, God forgave you. Now, I think that it's good to remember that forgiving involves forgetting. I don't know if I ever told you, maybe I have, but there was a gentleman in a, in a Christian bookshop in Belfast, and when I went to college, my wife took me to the bookshop and said, you get 10% and being Irish and with his little Scottish blood in me, I was all excited at the thought of a discount. Anyway, I got into a bit of banter with this man who was the manager of the bookshop. And it was one of those horrible situations when it crossed the line from being banter into being something else. And uh, when I got back from the bookshop, my wife said to me, you need to phone him up and apologize. She wasn't my wife in those days, uh, but I did. I, I phoned him up and I said, look, I was in earlier and got into a bit of banter and quite unintentionally it crossed a line. And I just want to apologize because I, I, I'm fairly sure that I upset you and offended you. And I really didn't want to do that. So I got a lecture down the phone and I kind of listened to it because I deserved it. And then at the end, I said, thank you so much. That was year one at college, first, first year. I graduated from college and then I had three years in Northern Ireland uh, in a church in a place called Bangor. So that was six years on. Okay, and then I went off to England to pastor a church in Suffolk. And every summer I used to go back to Belfast because we didn't have a good Christian bookshop near us. I used to go into the bookshop uh, in Belfast and he would come and he'd put his arm around and say, Michael, how lovely to see you. It's great. When I remember, and then he'd begin to tell me the story of our first meeting. And he did this for several years. So we've got one to six and it was maybe year eight at this stage or maybe even year nine, and I went into the shop for my annual pilgrimage. Michael, how lovely to see you, when I remember. And I came out of the bookshop and I said to my wife, I said, you know, if he ever does that to me again, I'm gonna, I'm gonna pull him up and I'm gonna say, listen, I asked you to forgive me, but you've written in your diary, whenever you see Michael, remember. But part of forgiving is forgetting. And what does God do with our sins? He takes them as far as the east is from the west and he casts them into the sea of his forgetfulness. And that's the way we are to deal with each other. The only offense we're entitled to give is the offense of the gospel. Be kind and compassionate to one another, forgiving each other just as in Christ God forgave you. How has he forgiven us? Completely. Has our sin impacted the quality of the relationship that we have with him today? No, it hasn't, because our sin is forgiven. That's why we have so much problem. When we go back to God, the devil sits on our shoulder and he says, do you see that you did last week? Oh, 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 oh. you need to go back and say sorry to him again. And we go back to God and we say, oh God, I'm so sorry for this. It happened years ago, but Lord, I'm so sorry. And God says, well, what are you talking about? And we wrestle with this false guilt. What are you talking about? Because the blood of Christ cleanses us from all sin. 
And when Jesus died on the cross, we hadn't been born. So all of our sin is forgiven. Isn't it wonderful? Yeah. How amazing is the goodness and grace of God. Compassion, kindness, forgiving one another. And then he tells, tells us in, oops, sorry. He says, be devoted to one another in love. You're kidding God. How can anybody be devoted to that person? They're so angular and so prickly. But that's what we're told, to be devoted to one another in love. Honor one another above yourselves. Wow. And then we're told um, to build one another up. Let us therefore make every effort to do what leads to peace and mutual edification. The Greek says there, literally, uh, to, to build one another up. That's what it says. And I just like that picture because it talks about every effort. Now, sometimes it does take effort. Sometimes it does take effort. But if we are walking in obedience, that is effort that we are prepared to invest, prepared to invest. Build one, one another up in love. Uh, that's what we are to do. Mutual edification. How can we do that? Little word of encouragement, perhaps a little telephone call. Sheila, I appreciated your prayer today. Thank you. And reading the psalm, lovely. Doesn't take much to say that, but it's, it's a good thing to do. And, and then don't lie to each other since you have taken off the, your old uh, self with its practices. And sometimes that um, phrase that was coined by the cabinet, cabinet secretary some years ago, talked about being economical with the truth. We can be like that in church. Now, we're not to take the truth and use it as a truncheon to batter somebody's brains out with, but we're supposed to be truthful. So I've learned, so when my wife tries on something, she says, do I look all right in this? I have learned over the years to say, well, it's maybe not the kindest thing I've seen you wear. <laughs> right? You with me? Don't tell lies, we tell the truth. But how we tell the truth is so very important. And there are some other one another statements that you can, you can look at and consider in your own time. Check them out because they're what's wrapped up in us walking in obedience. So how do we, how do we identify somebody who comes in as a savage wolf? Well, they won't be walking in the truth. They won't be walking in obedience, but that means that we are to walk in the truth and we are to walk in obedience and then it says we are to walk in love now many people have mistaken have the mistaken idea that christian love is a feeling a special kind of religious emotion that you feel at the end of a session of singing choruses or maybe when you come out of church on a sentiment was great the lord ministered to my soul and and you've got this buzz about you but by mid-afternoon on sunday it's wearing off but that's not what war walking in love is all about of course emotion is involved but please understand this that christian love is an act of the will because love is not a feeling it's an act of the will and that simply means 
treating other people the same way God treats us. In fact, it's possible to love people that we don't really like. We may not be able to will our affections at all times, but you know something? We can choose our attitudes. And as a consequence, we can choose our actions. And when people are rude to us, we can be kind in return. That's what it means to heap coals on their heads. And when people persecute us, and sometimes they do, we can pray for them. We can pray for them. And when the opportunity comes, and it usually does, we can do good to them. We can. If we follow our feelings, we would probably just retaliate. But if we ask the Spirit to control our wills, then we can act towards them as Jesus Christ would have acted in love. How very practical God's word is. And you and I are to follow in the footsteps of faith. Isn't that right? Now, I came across a really challenging verse uh, some years ago, which has lingered in my mind. It's in Job chapter 13 and verse 27. And Job says, you, he's speaking to God, keep a close watch on all my paths. How? By putting marks on the soles of my feet. By putting marks on the soles of my feet. So I wonder what footprints we're leaving as we're walking through the world today. As you're walking through Moody's Burn, what, what are your footprints saying? Are you walking in the footsteps of faith? You see, I think if we're walking with Jesus, we're leaving imprints of our walk as will impact people. There's a, another set of flip-flops and on the soles, it just says, Jesus loves you. Are those the footprints that we're leaving? Don't you want to leave footprints like that? I certainly do. I certainly do. Let's just pray together. Father, we thank you so much for your truth, which is so practical and yet so challenging. And we certainly do want to be able to identify those false teachers that come in. Yes, we, we really do, but Lord, we also want to walk in the truth. We want to walk in obedience and we want to walk in love and we just need the help of your Holy Spirit, Lord, every day. We're reminded in Hebrews that we run, that, that we run the race that's marked out for us. And we know that, Lord, if you have built us to excel at the 100 meters, you're not gonna enter us into the marathon. And if you've built us to run long distances, you're not going to put a, pull a fast one and put us into a very short race. But oh God, we pray that in these moments, that wherever we are in our journey, that we might know the ministry of your spirit in our hearts helping us. 
so that we leave footprints, Lord, that speak well of Jesus as we seek to follow in the footsteps of faith. In your mercy, pour out a special blessing on the church family here, one that would really encourage them in their journey. We ask it, Father, in the precious and lovely name of the Lord Jesus. Amen.